And now we begin. And scene. And scene. Put on your acting face. Put on your acting cap, your voiceover box cap. <laughs> voiceover box cap. Do you have an Adam's apple? Just rest a little baseball cap right on top of it. Right on top. This is Two Girls, One Ghost. Two Girls, One Ghost. And we are your ghostesses. That is Corinne. Howdy. And I am Sabrina. Hello. Hello. I feel like we've been recording more frequently now that we have Patreon and have been... I mean, we've always had Patreon, but now we're doing videos for Patreon. And so we see each other more frequently. Yeah, I feel like we've recorded four days out of this past seven days. We have. And believe it or not. And I could do it again. I'm not sick of you. (laughs) Never. Never. (sighs) Well, did you see the news on the alien front, Sabrina? No, please update me. Okay, well, I'm going to butcher this. and, And I get, let me just preface this by saying I get all of my news and materials from TikTok. So... Who the heck knows if there's any truth to anything I say ever anymore because I don't actually go to real news sites. But apparently some like uh, military defense head or whoever it is from Canada has confirmed the presence of aliens, which we already know because everyone's been confirming the presence of aliens over the past couple of years. Yeah. But specifically mentioned that a few years back... They had previously thought that there were about like 12 species of aliens that had made contact with Earth. But now it's up to 80, 80 different species of aliens that they believe they know of or have had contact with that are observing the Earth. How have I not been abducted yet if there are 80 different species of alien beings? I think because they're just watching us and being like, these people are absolutely nuts. And let's just monitor from a safe distance out in the sky and hope that they don't all kill each other and make their race extinct. So do you think they can hear me? Perhaps. I mean, I'm sure they can. Or are they currently tuned in on their little radio signal to Sabrina recording the podcast at present? I I don't know. Honestly... After our last encounters where we found out that ghost dolls are listening to our podcast, I am now imagining and dreaming of aliens tuning in on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast to listen to Two Girls, One Ghost. And they're like, they're talking about us again. I know. I like that. I like that idea that, you know, the ships are obviously all beings need some sort of substance to keep energy and themselves alive. So what if like the cooks on board, just, you know, everyone's monitoring, doing their own jobs. And then the cooks are just in the kitchen, the little alien kitchen. And they're like, la, 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 listening to us. Just, hey, humans are, they're okay. They're okay. They like us. Or now I have like this sadness in my heart where they're like, oh my God, that Sabrina girl is kind of a stalker and we don't really like her. We need to get a restraining order. And that's why they're so far away from me. (laughs) An intergalactic restraining order. Can you imagine? Honestly, though, I feel like at that point, I would take pride in that. You know, like that's legendary. I I know, but like... But also at the same time, I'm not as obsessed with them as I think some people are. So I, I feel like I feel confident that maybe one day I'll meet them. Mm, mm, mm-hmm. I, I mean, honestly, I feel like it's going to be somewhat in our near future because I feel like there's been a lot more news and we're just essentially being prepped for something that's going to happen, whether it's next year or in 30 years. So if we're still alive in 30 years, I feel like we'll 
There's going to be some big I news. I really hope so. I mean, I, I hope so too. 30 years? <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, I definitely, with the human lifespan, you and I should be. So yes. let's hope that we are. Yeah. Uh, let's hope so. Well, let's hope so. Okay. This is totally unrelated, but also kind of as obscure as alien life. So I have to tell you. And okay. you're a TikToker. So I feel like this new trend came <laughs> through TikTok. There is this new trend of listening to sea shanties and like making oh. raps out of sea shanties. And yes. I am here for it. It is my favorite thing ever. It's so fun. It's so good. And it makes you once once you see people take really good like pop songs or, or songs that are, you know, out there on like the top 100 music charts of today and turn them into sea shanties. It's it makes best. me want people to do the reverse because when they turn them into sea shanties, it sounds so right as a sea shanty. Mm. But then when you hear the lyrics sung in a different way, you're like, oh my God, I feel so touched. Like what a beautiful, like <laughs> the messaging in this specifically thinking of driver's license by Olivia Rodrigo or whatever her name is. Everyone's obsessing about. And yes, I'm responsible for one million of those streams. But <laughs> I want people to do the reverse where like a, just a regular sea shanty that was written to be a sea shanty mm. is made into this like crazy, like pop emotional, song. yeah, ballad. I need someone to do the reverse. But I love it. I agree with you. And I'm going to now send you videos of this one guy who stitch on TikTok. They call it like stitching when you basically like respond to a video and that video plays as mm. you're also creating your own video next to it. And he'll sing along to this, the sea shanties, but he's got the deepest, like most baritone, like bass level voice. Oh my gosh. It basically sounds like rocks singing Whoa. and it is so good. And he does not look like he'd have that voice either. So it's very entertaining. Oh my gosh. I love that. It just, I don't know. I think I may have lived in that time because, and I may have been a dude because it feels so right for me to hear that song. And I'm like, yes, I am going to bang a beer on this wooden table and splash it everywhere. And then I'm going to jump on top of the table and stop my big ass boots and join along. Like it just feels right. Uh, who knew that we needed the revival of the sea shanty to get us through the year? I definitely did not. And I'm pleasantly surprised. It's so great. I agree with you. It's one of the best things to come of this year, and we're only a few weeks in. Yeah, so Well, let's see what else comes. It's the small things nowadays. You know what I hope never returns, ever? What? Okay. Music from the early 2000s, phenomenal. Outfits, fashion, oh my gosh. I just started watching Entourage for the first time ever, and it is, I cannot believe we dressed like that. It I was cannot. horrendous. It was so bad. I'm like, how did we go from the 70s and 80s and even the 90s fashion to that? Like the low rise jeans with no back pockets and really strange colors and like skirts over jeans. It feels and like the fashion weird. that would be created if you gave the cartoon version of Lizzie McGuire rights and authorization to create all outfits. Yes. That's what it looks like. And I realized Lizzie McGuire is also from that time. But yes, if you look at red carpet photos from that time, it's terrible. It was terrible. really, really bad. I think everyone was very confused. Oh, we we didn't know what was happening. We were trying to start something new and um, just it didn't yeah. work. Belly shirts and butt cracks. That's what it was. Yeah. Although Britney Spears is single-handedly keeping low-rise jeans in in style, I think. Or not Britney. even in style, but like in the marketplace. 
She can do, yeah, she can do what she wants because I know that she can't do a lot of what she wants. Hashtag free Britney. Poor girl. Free Britney. Free Britney. But I do, I do like that. I don't know if you remember this, but I think it was like mid or early last year, 2020. Some celebrities were seen in low rise jeans and there were all these articles like the return of low rise jeans. It's happening. And everyone just said, no, like it was the first time ever that people just squashed or at least to my knowledge, just like fully squashed a trend that was set to return instead of being like, yeah, okay, fine. Chokers are coming back. I'll buy a choker. Everyone was just like, no, not not this year. Sorry. No. And then it only lived for like three weeks and never seen again. <laughs> okay. But I did, however, and this is very unfortunate, Nick and I went on a walk along Santa Monica Beach Boardwalk, whatever it is, mm-hmm. promenade. And there were some trendy young 20 year olds who for I mean sadly reminded me that I am no longer a young 20 year old who were wearing low rise jeans and pants and like belly shirts and I was like I really hope this is not happening because I am not I I I don't I can't I just can't we're past it we're not in Laguna Beach we are not in 90210 we are not in entourage we are past that we've evolved and I absolutely refuse to ever partake. I don't care if everybody in the world is wearing them again. I'm not. If I can't tuck my boobs into my jeans, I don't want to wear them. That is a great rule. And I will be right there with you. It needs to be versatile. Now I'm imagining like jeans that zip up all the way to under your armpits. Like, you know, yeah, really high. Honestly, I mean, that's kind of called overalls, and I like them. I do. Oh, my God, you're right. I love overalls. It's overalls. I want to die in them. They're it's my thing. overalls. <laughs> uh, oh. oh, my gosh. We have a regular episode for you, and we're talking haunted apartments. Haunted apartments. Yay. Which, I, Corinne, I texted you this earlier, but when I was first researching it, I found so many haunted Airbnbs that you can stay at that are advertise as haunted airbnbs but a lot of them didn't have like a ton of information on them i think it's like you know it's kind of if you stay there you learn all the information Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. an allure but um i found another place while i was doing this search that is called like the magical i can't remember harry potter or was like wizarding world harry potter airbnb in europe in england maybe and i I think it was in the uk when you sent it to me i looked Uh, Oh, in York. Yeah. Which is in England. And I need to go. Need to. I know. It looked... So one of the things that I really liked in the photos that you sent me, because I was obviously perusing as soon as you (laughs) sent it to me, the that they have almost like what looks like old sort of spell books just kind of like tossed on this one shelf as if it truly was a place where like witches and wizards lived. Because mm-hmm. you're not going to have everything perfectly kept if you're if you're like, you know, using magic, scrambling all about and using these books, you just kind of throw them. And so I like that they did that. It was just kind of like, yeah, this feels like someone lives here. It's like very whimsical mm-hmm. and as if you were staying in a Harry Potter dorm oh, and I'm, wow. I'm into it. Hey, maybe we take a trip out to York. Well, okay. Once we can. Does anyone live in York? Any of our listeners, please let us know. Maybe we'll do, I don't know. Should we do a live show in York? Dude, if we can ever do a live show anywhere again, that'd be great. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't even care if no one shows up. I just want a reason for us to travel to York. That's It's our excuse. The podcast. And then we can, yeah, write off the tickets and the stay <laughs> on taxes. <laughs> Oh, so good. Yeah. So yeah, if anyone, if there's like a party of two that wants to watch us just 
talk and record a yeah. podcast. We'll count that as a we'll live count that. show out there. We'll even buy you a round of drinks at a pub. Yeah. But then I also found while I was researching, like so many, there are so many haunted apartments, but mm-hmm. there are a lot of them that are not publicized and they're just people who are writing into like Reddit or online platforms saying, mm-hmm. I live in a haunted apartment. Here's my story. But I did find one place that is very publicly, very haunted. And we are all about reduce, reuse, recycle here on TGOG. But we have different perspective on haunted, abandoned hospitals being turned into apartments. Ooh. <laughs> it's a little bit wow. of a questionable prospect to us. Yikes. I think it scares us. Mm-hmm. 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 And and I feel like the first time we ever talked about that on the podcast was when we talked about the old Salem jail in Salem, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. and how it was redeveloped. Yeah, bit bars attached to it. And then mm-hmm. there's all of these apartments now in it. And it was remodeled into apartment living. And like both of us were like, uh, no, thanks. Yeah, we'll go into the lobby, check out this jail cell that they kept open, but we don't want to live here. Could you imagine just like living there and the front of your, the front lobby is the old jail. It's like, oh yeah, welcome to my prison. I live here. And it makes me, yeah, I need to know what the inside of those apartments look like if they kept anything in the actual apartments. Yeah. I feel like we can find photos online. Let's do it. For sure. Well, the old Salem jail is not the only place with a rich history to have been transformed into apartments and condominium living. The old Linda Vista Hospital in Los Angeles, California was abandoned, left to the ghost for 10 entirely whole years before recently in 2011 being renovated and turned into the Hollenbeck Terrace Apartments, a senior apartment living facility. And let me tell you, those ghosts are still very much present, residing alongside these new tenants. But before we get into the juicy ghost stories, let's talk history. Linda Vista Community Hospital was originally called the Santa Fe Coastline Hospital and was built to serve the employees of the Santa Fe Railroad in 1905. And the address was 610 South St. Louis Street. And it sounded very, very delightful. And I say this because like I had already seen pictures of what it looked like, you know, in the decrepit days. So when I heard and read about what it looked like when it was first opened, I was like, oh, my gosh, this place sounds amazing and beautiful. (laughs) It had its own working farm. It had cows, chickens and gardens filled with fruit and vegetables. And the hospital served the employees of the Santa Fe Railroad. And it was like flourishing through the years as a welcome addition to the Boyle Heights neighborhood. And as more people were flocking to the Western side of the country and building the railroad, it was just such a big community. And this hospital Mm -hmm. served, served that community and it acted more than just as a hospital, you know, it was like a place where people could come and eat and have meals. And it was just a fully functioning, beautiful place. And it was such a success that they expanded the campus and even remodeled and redid the original building in 1938 with a more modern design. It had like these gorgeous Santa Fe tiles, raised ceilings and like amazing renowned facilities, working, heating and air conditioning and like hot water, things that you would have loved during that time, Corinne. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Unfortunately, just a year later, World War II broke out. And so in time, many of the young men who had been previously working for the railroad were called off to fight in the war. And then the Santa Fe Coastline Hospital Services went into a very steep decline because there were less workers to work there. There were less people or patients to be there. And so kind of all of their income and everything that they were doing went to the gutters. And administrators of the hospital were like, we are financially unstable. There's no way that we can 
make it through this war and make it through the depression era and Mm -hmm. make it through all of these like devastating factors and still function properly as a hospital. And they were right because after the war, even though so many more people fled to the West post war, post depression, and were you know, coming to the town where you would think that more people would need hospital services, Mm -hmm. despite all of that, even the railroad workers who like had like medical care included at this hospital decided to go seek out better medical care. And it was Los Angeles. So there was tons of hospitals and, and medical care accessible. And so the Santa Fe Coastline Hospital just kept going in, into a decline and had less patients. They also didn't have enough medical equipment or like they didn't, they weren't keeping up with the times essentially. So what they could offer their patients was not as high tech or professional or I don't know what the word is medical jargon. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't as advanced as some of the other hospitals were. And so by the mid 1970s, the hospital couldn't afford a full staff and it couldn't help as many patients. And unfortunately, during that time as well, the area of Boyle Heights became less affluent and the number of crimes began to spike. There was a lot of gang crime, like gang on gang, a lot of shootings, a lot of a lot of violence. By the 1980s, the Santa Fe Railroad Company was forced to sell this 150 bed hospital to a larger healthcare facility. And in 1985, it became the Linda Vista Community Hospital. But even this like big medical company couldn't revive the hospital and the facility. And they continued to reduce operational expenses, which basically meant that they decreased the staff exponentially. So instead of having enough staff to like take care of the 150 patients, they were just like, we're only going to have like two doctors on staff and good luck deal with everything, which made it almost impossible for them to like accurately care for the patients that were coming in. And they had to turn away ambulances and reroute them to alternate hospitals. And then the patients that they did have, unfortunately, a lot of them were dying because they didn't have the expertise or the manpower to take care of them or aid them properly. Mm -hmm. And like I was saying, there was a lot of gang violence and this area became more violent than it had been in previous years. And so a lot of people were being brought into the Linda Vista Community Hospital with gunshot wounds or stabbing wounds and other similar crimes. And because they were so short staffed, many of the patients died under their care. And the hospital was blamed for an increase of facility deaths because apparently during that time, it was like the highest number of deaths in a hospital compared to all other hospitals. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And people began complaining that this hospital was like too exclusive and it wasn't serving the area's population properly and that they were letting exclusive with all of these facilities that at the time of being built were so high tech and yet everybody is getting horrible care and dying and there's no money. I don't understand. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like it was terribly managed, but it also sounds like these poor doctors were just like thrown into chaos Mm -hmm. without any support or any real, I don't know what the word is, but like basically they were not able to handle what was happening, what was coming to them. And also as the hospital continued to struggle and lose money, these doctors who were left on staff were like, I don't want to work here anymore. Why? Mm. I mean, why would they? Because working conditions were awful. There was no aid to them. And I mean, who would want to continuously lose patients like that? Linda Vista was then forced to close their emergency room in 1989 And in a matter of two years, they were forced to shut down all services and cease all operations. And so in 1991, the remaining staff walked out of the Linda Vista hospital doors for the last time, and the hospital building was left 
abandoned and it was put on the market, but no one bought it. And it stayed on the market for 10 years. But during that 10 years, it quickly fell victim to looting and squatting. And it really truly is amazing to see how quickly this like once lively, beautiful hospital building just turned and fell into disrepair, became decrepit, deserted, and like a super haunting building. It, it reminds me, if you look at photos of what it looked like during the times where it was abandoned, it looks like a... It looks like it was sat abandoned for a hundred years. Oh my gosh. It all happened in a matter of a few years. Just like the whole building fell apart. That's so wild that it, yeah. It makes me think that the energy in it was so bad that it just like became so decrepit and mm-hmm. decayed at this accelerated rate. And then also I think, I mean, I'm sure based on the way that the last 30 years of it actually were in operation, it sounds like they weren't putting any money or allocating any money to fixing things. So it probably began much earlier than when it was really abandoned, but still it, you're right. It accelerated at a crazy pace. Mm-hmm. So for 10 years, the Linda Vista hospital sat vacant, but it never quite felt that way because passerbys would report seeing shadows in the windows or they would hear cries from the empty building and they would experience a very strange feeling emanating from the empty hospital as if something or someone was still there beckoning one to come inside. And many did. People began breaking in to investigate the phantom shapes and sounds to find that the decaying building was filled with an intense energy. People would hear footsteps, phantom sounds like moaning and groaning. Others would see spectral shapes and ghostly apparitions. And there were figures in what used to be the emergency room, ghosts roaming the halls, and some who appeared as patients and others who appeared as hospital staff. I mean, it, so- it sounds like, I think it was a listener story from one of our like recent encounters about Rolling Hills Asylum. It sounds mm-hmm. like that, where the hospital was almost still functioning in a paranormal yeah. world. Yeah. The hospital staff is still rushing into rooms and living out there. Mm-hmm. Lives. There's one doctor who has been seen often roaming the halls, and he, he appears in pain. And rumors tell of a story of a doctor who was murdered caught in the middle of gang violence. And there's no proof or there's nothing really to back this up, but rumors have said that this doctor tried to revive a member of a gang who had been shot. And when he failed, Mm. the gang came and got revenge on the doctor by shooting him and leaving him bleeding out on the floor of the hospital where he died. My God, it makes zero sense. It does sound like there was a lot of tension between the hospital and the neighborhood or the neighboring areas because of how many patients were dying during during that time. Mm -hmm. So while it's awful and horrible in my mind, I'm like, okay, it makes sense that like, if that many people were dying, the people in the neighborhood area would be frustrated and angry. Yeah. There's also a ghostly apparition of a young girl who is believed to have died on the operating table. And she is seen by like a lot of people who go into this hospital abandoned hospital. There are also railroad workers covered in soot and grease as if maybe they died from a construction accident and are still roaming the halls. Wow. There's a man, Francis Corticias, and I'm sorry if I say that name wrong, but he was a caretaker who managed the property for over two decades. And he told the LA Times in 2010 that he had seen many strange things around the hospital, things he could not logically explain, like sometimes the water in a scrub sink would turn on by itself and they were operated by a foot lever. So no one was stepping on it and he would just see it turn on as if like a surgeon was scrubbing in or scrubbing out of a surgery. Wow. 
Uh, sometimes he felt a child's hand grab onto his own hand or onto his legs as of like tugging on him, like to get his attention, mm-hmm. even though no one was there. There are also orderlies seen walking through the hall, going about their duties as if they're still in the hospital and it's still fully functioning. Others report an eerie green light emanating from windows or a child crying on the fifth floor. And others claim that the serial killer Richard, the night stalker Ramirez, hid out there for a bit, leaving satanic imagery on the walls. Which reminds wow. me, there's the new Netflix series, The I Night know. Stalker. I need to watch it. Everyone, Nikita just texted me about it. She was like, who's the Night Stalker? Tell me about this. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I know who me this tell is. You. Don't get me started. It's good. I started watching the first episode. So these paranormal encounters started spreading everywhere and they were, you know, people told their friends and it just spread like wildfire. And so many people got interested in in the Linda Vista Hospital, especially paranormal investigators who decided to come and spend the night in the abandoned Linda Vista Hospital, hoping to get answers and to catch ghosts on film. So our good pals, Ghost Adventures, was <laughs> one of the more notable crews to do an investigation And they actually caught a lot. Granted, we take everything that happens on Ghost Adventures with a grain of salt because we don't know that we can fully verify it. It's television. It's reality television, specifically. But um, through the course of their time at Linda Vista Hospital, they caught a ton of EVPs, voices calling their names, asking them to stop, or begging them, don't leave me. Or one more chilling voice called out, ready or not, here I come. Which could also be playful with a kid, but I like to think it's scary. Yeah. They heard humming, screaming, banging, whispering, moaning. They caught a white orb darting through the hallway and into a door. They saw another six-foot-tall apparition that passed through a chair and then moved it by itself. Ooh. While Zach tried to communicate with this young girl, the one who was that most people do see, who was known to die on um, or thought to die on the operating table. Zach's equipment malfunctioned, and at the same time, they picked up a young girl humming a tune through an EVP. They also witnessed a full-body apparition of a woman who appeared right in front of Nick. So he was, like, going about his own thing, and then all of a sudden, this, like, apparition appeared, like, right in front of him and scared the bejesus out of him. And they caught a ton of stuff. And then, you know, from there, it caught a ton of other attraction from other Hollywood enterprises, like film and television crews. Oh, I should say, so during this time... I guess people were trying to sell it, but then they also wanted to preserve it as a hospital. Like the owner was like very specific about who he wanted to sell it to because Mm -hmm. it was such a historic building. And one of his, like, I don't know, someone else who was involved in in the property or had some share in it was just willing to like sell it to some random person. And the owner was like, absolutely not. And so he like made efforts to preserve the building. So in 2002, it was listed as a historic cultural monument and then was later added to the National Register of Historic Places, which then like kind of, you know, put a boundary on who could buy it and what it could be turned into. Mm-hmm. But that doing that also made it harder to sell because then less people were putting offers in it. And so in order for them to not lose money and be able to pay property taxes, the manager slash owner started to reach out to directors and producers of Hollywood and was like, hey, come film here. And it was like such an easy sell because the empty patient rooms and discarded medical equipment and the aging corridors made it the perfect location for movies and television. So like, I think it's over 60 films, TV shows and music videos were filmed inside the abandoned house. There were TV shows like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Dexter and ER. 
um, movies like Pearl Harbor, L.A. Confidential, Outbreak, and the second and third Insidious films all <gasps> used Linda Vista Hospital oh. as a set. Mm-hmm. So wait, I'm confused. Sorry, I'm not confused. I'm just I'm curious. Yeah, where? How far away is this hospital from? Like Los Angeles? It's in Los Angeles. It's in L.A. Where is it? Near Boyle Heights. I don't really know where Boyle Heights is. Let me look on a map. Yeah, I'm trying to picture because if all, yeah, I just, for some reason I was picturing it kind of like more where Riverside is. And I was like, oh, that's maybe less accessible for so many studios, but. It's kind of right next to downtown. Oh, okay. Okay. And I think it's up on a hill. So it has like a pretty view and overlooks a bunch of stuff. I wonder if you can see the Cecil Hotel from there. Because if it's close to downtown, then it's close to that hotel. We love the Cecil. Yes. It's so scary. But yeah, and then all of these location fees that these sets and film crews were paying for helped pay the electricity bills and property taxes and the owner's salary. But the money was not enough to keep the building from falling into disrepair. So it was like, either you pay the electricity bills and property taxes or you try to maintain this building and upkeep it. But they didn't. There wasn't Mm -hmm. enough money for it. And mold and rats and looters were damaging the building to a point where the owners were no longer able to keep up its appearance And while it worked well for horror films, it was not particularly safe. And the ghosts didn't make it much more welcoming for film crews. So there are a few, like, there are a bunch of stories actually from people who worked on film crews who, like, experienced some scary things. But there were people who'd spent hours building sets not far from the asbestos-lined walls, soil-caked bathtubs, and puddles of dirty water. And they would walk away with very unexplained experiences. And some started to avoid certain hallways and rooms because they were terrified. There were some crew members who said the air suddenly changed in certain parts of the hospital and get a feeling that if I walked any further, something bad is going to get me. Like imagine being there late at night filming and you're alone in a hallway and you're like, if I go down this hallway, something is going to get me. Yeah, which I mean, already just being in an abandoned place is creepy enough. But if that many people felt specifically that sort of message, not just like, oh, I'm too scared. Like, what if I see something? What if I see someone? Mm -hmm. But feeling like they're going to be attacked, like something's coming for them. I mean, then clearly something is is really not wanting contact. And that combined with like filming a horror movie, I feel like is so chilling. I know. So many cursed movies out there, too. And it does make me wonder... If, you know, like when we talk about the railroad workers or the hospital workers or the patients, you know, that all makes sense because that's sort of what happened there on the property and the surrounding Mm -hmm. area. But sort of like many of the abandoned locations, hospitals, et cetera, that we talk about when there's so much activity and so much sickness and paranormal activity, it oftentimes Mm -hmm. attracts darker entities that had no previous ties to the yes. location. So it makes me wonder what else is there. Yes, it's a little little unsettling. Mm-hmm. A prop master whose name is Bonnie Temple reported seeing an orderly in a white short sleeve shirt just lurking by the windows multiple times while she was on set. And a set dresser on her crew would walk past that location. And anytime he walked past it, he would get this like nausea and have to run outside and proceeded to vomit. In that one, from, just from that one spot. <gasps> Which makes me think almost like I've never had a spirit walk through me. And I sure hope I never do. But it almost makes me feel like the spirit that was lurking there, like walked through him with so much energy that like his insides were like, what just happened? Yeah, like a gut punch. Yeah. Ooh, gosh. Yeah. Ugh. It also reminds me of like, you, you know, when people go to 
Gettysburg or any sort of memorials where there's been so much death and so much tragedy, mm-hmm. those kind of feelings of sickness, yeah. like so you're so sad that you're, you're made sick. You can't even stand it. Yeah. I wonder if there's something like that. Like you're just, you're momentarily experiencing the pain mm-hmm. and trauma from there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Unfortunately, the haunted reputation of Linda Vista Hospital attracted some other not so welcome guests. The property manager who had, you know, been watching this hospital for two decades once found a group of teenage girls performing a blood ritual to worship Satan inside of the hospital. But where did they get the blood? I hope it wasn't their own. I think it might have been some of their own. But also, I do hope it's their own. Why did I say that? I don't want it to be anybody else's. Yeah. And apparently, like, he tried to get them to leave, and they refused to leave and kept performing the ritual until the cops came, which just sounds terrifying. Yeah. Imagine being that guy, being like, okay, clearly they're a little unhinged and unpredictable, and I have to now be in the vicinity of them. And this poor man, oh my God, this is so sad. He he had, like, even worse experiences. He once encountered a group of boys who set the lobby on fire, and then this one's really, really terrible. He once found, like, a group of boys there, and... They had like sticks and I don't know, weapons. And he, when he tried to confront them, they attacked him and beat him up what? and left him bleeding out on the floor with a busted head. And like, luckily he survived, but poor guy was just trying to do his job, which I know. And the, these guys attacked him. That really makes me wish that the spirits could be a little bit more like conscious. Protective. I guess like, yeah. yeah. And protect him because he's their caretaker. He's the one managing the property yeah. and trying to get all of these people that are mistreating the property out who are not rightfully there. I wish yeah. they could have, they could have protected him and really spooked those, that group of kids into never doing that ever again. I wish to, but unfortunately they didn't, but he did survive. So he's okay. Good. But, um, okay, good. by 2011 movies and TV could no longer keep the abandoned hospital afloat. And so in 2011, it was sold to Amcal Multi-Housing Inc., which has since redeveloped it into an affordable senior apartment place called Hollenbeck Terrace Apartments. And it's kind of crazy, like I said, to look at, like just in 10 years of it being abandoned and decaying, although it looks like it had been like that for hundreds of years because of how decayed it was and decrepit it was. And in just one year of reconstruction, the building was just like transformed into a beautiful, airy senior apartment living. You know what I am glad about, though? I'm glad that the seniors who are now living there moved into a space that already has a reputation and many, 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 many witnesses to the paranormal activity, because I think it would be easy when someone is aging and kind of moving into more of an assisted living situation to write off people's experiences as just like mental dementia or something deterioration. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think everyone is very aware of the fact that this is a haunted place. Although I will say when I was trying to research like haunted Hollenbeck Terrace, Mm -hmm. I think they've done a really, they've really, really tried to put that haunted reputation in the past. Mm. And so it's whenever you search that it doesn't, come up as like association with haunted. But if you search Linda Vista hospital, all of the stories come up and they're like, it's now a senior apartment living. And like it, it kind of says it in those articles, but you, you can't really find it when you search that, mm, which is always a bummer. Like don't scrub the history. I know there's still going to be plenty of people that don't believe in the paranormal that come to the hotel. It's not going to 
Look at like the Congress Hotel in Chicago. There's so many people that stay there, and it's supposed to be one of the most haunted. Yeah. I stayed there. I didn't remember. You didn't that even we know. Did an episode on it. <laughs> but they renovated everything from the intensive care unit to the medical library, and they maintained almost like I don't know how much I'm going to make. I almost was going to make up a percentage, and I was like, why? They maintained a lot of the building's original features. They kept the mailboxes, the dumb waiters, and a lot of the windows and the doors. And it now has like a roof deck and beautiful dining rooms and offices. And it has like an arts venue and 97 spacious studio, one or two bedroom apartments for seniors 55 and up. And they have these side by side photos of like the same hallway. The one hallway being how it was when it was purchased in 2011 and like decrepit and decaying. And then the one next to it in the exact same hallway, the doors look almost the same and it is gorgeous. Literally night and day. Wow. But you can tell that it's like the same hallway, which is kind of eerie. I don't know. I've got to look up this place, especially just for the for the love of renovations. Yeah, that's true. It is. I mean, it's beautiful. It has like this gorgeous tile that I think they preserved. But like I said, Hollenbeck Terrace has tried to put their haunted reputation in the past, <laughs> but the ghosts are still very much there. And a few residents have reported seeing ghostly apparitions while entering the halls, but the stories are not pouring out like they used to. Uh, the only like real story I could find was of a elderly woman who was first hesitant to move into Hollenbeck Terrace because she had heard of the hauntings. Despite her fears, she was like, this place is gorgeous and it's lower. It's more affordable than most traditional mm -hmm. senior living homes. And so she moved in. And for a while, she was like, there was nothing. There were no ghosts. I didn't see anything. I didn't hear anything. But then like one day just like completely changed and she started hearing crying in the night of a young girl and there were certain hallways that she felt strange in, but she said she's never felt unsafe. So that's good. That's good. Makes me wonder if the residents are that live there now either have to kind of warm up to the idea and make themselves open to experiencing things or if there's sort of like this trust that to be built between the spirits and the residents that live in the apartments. Like, oh, we'll expose ourselves and cry and show our vulnerability and what happened to us in our lives as soon as we know that we can trust you. Yeah. I don't know. Or maybe she just became more aware of her surroundings, you know? I do hope that, I don't know, I hope that it's all good spirits. I mean, I feel like for the most part, the spirits that were very visible did seem benign, but that there were like darker feelings and mm. energies. Mm-hmm. And I hope that because the building was given a lot of love in this remodeling, maybe those negative things are gone. I don't know. Yeah. Wishful thinking, I guess. Or the whole big facelift, maybe it helped some of the spirits move on. Mm, maybe. The way I look at it. Maybe. Or it made them really mad and it's only they're biding their time until <laughs> they seek We're revenge about it soon enough. Ugh, I hope it can just be all, all good and, and great and a little loving place. Doesn't turn to darkness. Although, okay, I will say that I know I have, we both kind of have disdain or a fear of living in an outwardly known haunted apartment. Mm -hmm. But when I'm looking to live in a senior living home, I don't know, I might want to make things interesting and be like, yeah, let's live, live somewhere where it's haunted. Spice up your life a little bit. Yeah, yeah let's be friends with the ghosts. Go meet your, your crew at 7 a.m. shuffleboard and be like, oh, you'll never believe what my ghost did last night. All the gossip in the senior living community. Ugh, it's going to be so fun. <laughs> Actually, my, my aunt and uncle, my great aunt and uncle, they had lived when they were building their home down in Florida. 
they were temporarily living in a senior living community. And we went down and visited. My family did. And uh, Mm -hmm. I, my parents still talk about it and mention it. I was thriving. It was so the environment that I needed to be in. I loved this little community. You could bike around. It was all one loop and everybody had their own homes. There was shovelboard. There was a pool. There was a community center. Everyone was so nice. Everyone would go on morning walks. Like everybody had a routine. And I remember this one man in specific, we passed by and my uncle had, had yelled out and said, hello said, how's it going? And the guy goes, well, I woke up on the right side of the grass today. So pretty good. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I was like, yes, I love morbid, dark sense of humor. Yes. Oh, so good. So I imagine it's quite popping. Happy little place. Yeah. Yeah. You got to make it fun. Got to make it fun. Alrighty. Well, I think I picked, I did like four different versions of what this episode could be because I just kept finding more stories and been like, Ooh, uh, never mind. I'm going to switch to this one. So it's been, it's been a quite a roller coaster picking something out. And maybe this episode has changed into something that I hadn't originally planned for this topic, but I settled on one, but I need to give a warning at the beginning that the story is graphic. There's mention of violence, sexual assault, and death. And there's also a, a little information that I could find on the web And so some of the details of the case are a bit contradictory. So I had to kind of do my best to try to piece things together in chronological order and just essentially take one version of the story or one suggested version of the story and roll with it because there are so many different contradictory and differing accounts of what exactly happened. Whoa. Okay. All right. So we're heading back to 1999. 23-year-old Fan Man Yi was working as a nightclub hostess. It was pretty good gig. She was living in Hong Kong. Hong Kong is known for all of its shopping. It has a really good nightlife, party goers, everybody in the streets. And with such a strong nightlife, working at a nightclub has its perks. You know, there are good tips. There's networking opportunities. And also perhaps there's connection to people that you might not want to get involved in, people you might fall into the wrong crowd, or just even the opportunity to take advantage of drunk people, perhaps coaxing them to give a little more money or buy a few more drinks than they ordinarily would have. And on this specific night, March 17th, 1999, Fan saw an opportunity that she couldn't pass up on. There was a group of men and there was an unattended wallet. So she took the wallet a wallet that ended up having a good amount of cash inside. The reports say that it was 20,000 Hong Kong dollars, which is about 4,000 in US dollars. But whatever the number actually was, Fan got a pretty good chunk of money in her possession from this wallet. But what she may not have known at the time was that the wallet belonged to 34-year-old Chan Manlock, and Chan was a drug lord. And the rest of his buddies that were with him were also a part of a gang, Leong Shin Cho and Leong Wailun. And knowing that Fan had taken this wallet, Chan devised a plan to capture her. He wanted to pimp her out, use her as a sex worker until she had paid off this debt of the $4,000 that she had stolen from him. And so that night, Fan was abducted from the nightclub by these three men and by the girlfriend of Chan. Remember, Chan is 34 years old. His girlfriend... 13 years old. Whoa. So the four of them, these three men and the 13-year-old girlfriend, they brought Fan into this apartment, apartment number 31 Granville Road in Hong Kong. 
And now I have to, I have to say again, even though I just said it at the very beginning of starting to read this story, no reports actually say exactly how she came into possession of the wallet, where she was abducted. So I kind of had to fill in the blanks there of like potentially how she got it at work maybe. And then also some other articles allude that there actually wasn't a wallet at all, that there was no wallet that was stolen. She just had owed this group a lot of money from her days of drug use, which according to her husband were behind her after they got pregnant and had their child. So she was she was a wife and a mother too. But regardless of you know how she was abducted, how she was taken, and why these men believed for her to be in debt to them, she was taken. And what started as a plan to pimp her out until her debt was paid back took a very morbid turn. And here in this apartment complex, the group kept Fan prisoner. She remained prisoner for a month, and over the month, the men beat her daily. They were also coaxing the 13-year-old girlfriend to hit Fan, saying that it was fun. And the 13-year-old later went on to testify that she'd personally witnessed Fan be hit around 50 times. That was just her personally witnessing it over about a 30-day span. And so poor Fan, she was tortured in disgusting and inhumane ways. And I'm going to say a few things that happened to her. So if you don't want to hear it, just click that skip ahead 15 seconds button just like two or three times right now. Fan was forced to consume urine and fecal matter that did not belong to her. The men took hot melted straws and plastic and burned the soles of her feet with them. Oh. And they also made the 13-year-old girlfriend participate in that part of the torture as well with the plastic burning onto her skin onto fan skin. And so oh after enduring brutal pain, fan passed away. She died. The men took apart her body. They dismembered it in a bathtub with a saw and they attempted to get rid of the body or at least the smell of the decaying flesh by cooking her. So they dismembered pieces of fan's body, then oh. cooked her in the stove. <gasps> it's like absolutely horrendous. It feels like a made up story. It's so insane. This is like Awful, 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 and like multiple people in it, in on it, and just so doing many people. it, and Ugh. also a child, a thirteen-year-old, was involved who was already in a relationship with a thirty-four-year-old. So, like, there's so much trauma and so much disgusting, so horrid treatment all around here. Oh so then, gosh. the thirteen-year-old girlfriend, after having witnessed this and being forced into such horrific acts, she was clearly traumatized by what she had seen. And after Fan had passed away, this 13-year-old, she started having these horrible, horrible nightmares. And she was convinced that Fan's spirit was visiting her, that Fan's spirit was haunting her, and the nightmares would not stop. And so finally, this young girl, she decided that she needed to do what was right and needed to do what she could to essentially stop Fan's spirit from plaguing her dreams night after night. She needed to tell the police. And so she went to the authorities and she filed a report admitting to what she'd seen as a witness and also admitting to what she'd done as a participant. And the police were horrified, as anyone would be, as I was when I first read about this. I was, and still am. So, oh my gosh. It's disgusting. And so, you know, the graphic details that this girl was giving, it just seemed so unimaginable. So at first they thought, you know, okay, she's a young girl. She's probably embellishing parts of the story. Surely this woman, you know, she's been taken, beaten, killed. But the torturous details, mm, I don't know. That seems really extreme. But then they got to the apartment and what they saw stuck with them forever. Most of her body parts had already been removed from the apartment, but there were still a few parts. There was a tooth that had belonged to Fan, a few organs that were found in bags, and her skull was stuffed into a giant mermaid Hello Kitty doll, leading investigators to dub this the Hello Kitty murder. 
So then the three men are immediately arrested. They attempted to say that Fan died as from an accidental overdose, but all of the evidence clearly showed that she had died from all of this other stuff, all the suffering and beating and, and everything. And so th- that clearly wasn't the case and the men were not believed. And then the 13-year-old, she was given immunity for turning these three men in. And the trial lasted only six weeks. It was very quick. The men were sentenced to life in prison with no chance of parole for 20 years, meaning that around 2019-2020, so in the past couple of years, that would have been the first year that any of these men could have been up for parole. Whether they were up for parole, I don't know. But this apartment building, this apartment at 31 Granville Road, after this had happened, it was completely gutted and all of the evidence had been removed. The floors, the walls, they were ripped down to the bare bones in this specific apartment, just leaving it plaster and concrete. And in Hong Kong, people are extremely superstitious and they believe strongly in spirits, strongly in feng shui. Mm-hmm. And a grisly crime like this or, or anything bad that happens in a space is super, super bad luck for the apartment building and the real estate value. Yeah. And there's all these specific laws about disclosing certain things and not having to disclose other things. But essentially, if anyone gets word of a crime that happened somewhere or a murder or something that would negatively affect the energy in the space, people are like, I am out. So... It super negatively affects the real estate value here. And in 2012, the building was demolished because nobody wanted to rent it, which makes sense. How horrible. But while the apartment complex still had residents, because remember, like 2012 is when the building was, a, was demolished, but 1999 is when the crime happened. So there's a lot of time in between then. When the apartment complex still had residents in it, the residents reported seeing a shadowy female figure lurking around the apartment. And her image was even seen, Fan's image was seen, captured on CCTV cameras from nearby buildings. So people had spotted what looked like Fan walking around the shops located on the ground level of the apartment complex. So this happened on the third level. The third floor is the apartment that she was taken into and horrendously treated and murdered. And then on the very first floor under this apartment complex are a bunch of shops. I believe it was like a lingerie shop and a few other shops. I'm sure that they've changed over the past few decades. But CCTV footage from surrounding buildings will capture a woman walking around these shops at night when everything's closed, when everything's locked. And then when people go in the morning to open up these shops or uh, investigate after these reports have been made, no one is in there at all. Oh, wow. They've also reported, these residents in the building have also reported seeing ghostly flames. Uh, Flames. Flames. So I don't know what that means, but it was very much enough to make this place totally unrentable. And so it was demolished in 2012. It was reopened in 2016, but not as an apartment complex, as a hotel. And so while Fan Man Lee suffered a horrible end to her life, her spirit lives on haunting witnesses' dreams, exploring the shops below the site of her grisly murder, and hopefully soon to find peace and move on. But very, very crazy. And it makes me wonder how many other apartments and like neighboring surrounding areas are, I just picture like that there's some sort of like registry. Like we always talk about like the registry for historic places, Mm -hmm. but I feel like there should be one for haunted apartments, haunted places, like scenes where the energy... It's just horrible because of the grisly crimes that have happened there. It's quite horrific. I'm kind of in shock. Mm -hmm. Wow. I know at first I was like, hello, kitty murder. Like, you know, that's a, that's like a a clickbait name. Like, let me, let me click on that and investigate a little bit more. And I mean, there's not that many details, but the details that are out there are just 
absolutely horrible. And I just included a couple because when it comes to someone's murder and torture, like that, I feel like there's a line between knowing a couple things that happened and getting the gist and actually reading everything. And it's just absolutely disgusting. So, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's a hard one to stomach, but yeah, I feel for whoever that building manager was who suddenly had this apartment where this terrible, terrible thing happened. And, you know, they, it affected their livelihoods too in the future renting. But my God, can you imagine just, it's like the worst thing that could have ever happened. This woman was, she was 23 years old. She was so young. And for whatever reason, whatever actually happened, if there was a wallet, if there was, you know, some unpaid drug money due to these Mm -hmm. people, nothing could ever, ever, ever warrant the treatment and torture that she went through. And it ended her life, leaving her husband and her child without her. Oh, it just breaks my heart. And just like the torture they put her through and such unnecessary violence. Like all of it is so wrong. Don't get me mm. wrong, but just the yeah, it's just so painful. Yeah, it's just evil. Yeah, it's just, just evil. Plain evil. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Plain evil. It also, you know, like part of me is so torn because when I'm like, oh, she's exploring the shops, I'm like, oh, at least she gets you know to have a little bit of fun in her spirit life. But then the other part of me feels so horribly for her because she didn't live in this apartment. She was just taken and and held captive here mm-hmm. and murdered here. She didn't have ties other than in this horrible thing that happened to her to this place. And so the fact that her spirit seems almost bound there makes me sad, makes me sad that she, you know, can't move on, can't move on, can't spend time, at least in places that are filled to our knowledge are filled with uh, good memories and loved ones and whatnot, that she just has to kind of roam around and explore this place that was the worst ever experience of her life. Yeah, truly. It was the end of her life. And then she's stuck there. Ugh. So sad. I do really wonder, and you know, if anyone out there has the answer, I definitely don't. I do wonder what these sort of phantom flames could mean. Is there any symbolism, any any meaning in that? Right. That's a good question. Yeah, especially within that that culture, like Taoism is really big over there. I wonder if it has any the only thing that I can think of is like, does it have anything to do with how they cooked her organs and her body parts and stuff? Oh God. I know I just read that part of the story, but I already blocked it from my memory again. And you just saying it, it just oh, reminded me of it clearly because you said it. But <laughs> even though I said it two minutes ago, uh, I just I, I already have such a dis- disdain and disgust of people in the world. And this story just made me made me angry. It is. It's infuriating because it's everything that you could think that goes wrong, went wrong here. So what is the building now or what's happened to it? It was turned in a, into a hotel. So I was trying to look up the hotel that it was turned into and I couldn't really find out that information. There were a few hotels that like shared very close uh, numbers, but I couldn't find like the exact 31 Granville Road. So I'm assuming that one of these hotels neighboring uh, this apartment complex likely has, you know, like their lobby is at like 29 or 35 or whatever, and probably expanded into what was once 31. Hmm. But it was opened as a hotel. So someone else may be able, I found this one hotel that I thought it was, but then it said that that hotel opened in like 2019. And this one said it was opened in 2016. So I need someone who's from the area. We have a few listeners from Hong Kong. If you guys can give us the details, you're going to know more than what we could just find handy on the web in a quick search. Right. 
Yeah. And like you said, it's, you know, there are probably so many reports and different varying stories that it's hard Mm -hmm. to know the real truth of how everything exactly went down. And also like, you know, not everyone was privy to only the people who did the harm, like the terrible acts were there for the torture and know what happened. Mm -hmm. Ugh. Ugh, that breaks my heart. I know. I know. It's horrible. This is one of those stories where I feel like sometimes we feel a bit removed from spirits because it feels like, you know, they lived a century ago and we try to sort of empathize with them. But this is one where my heart absolutely aches for this woman because it wasn't that long ago. She was, you know, a few years ago, we were her age and it just feels so preventable in a way. And the fact that this happened is just absolutely disgusting. And it makes me feel so sorry for her spirit because, you know, if her spirit was seen up until 2012 or maybe even more recently, Mm -hmm. it makes me want to be like, okay, well, like this is, this is the one case where we need someone to go and, you know, make contact with her and help her and, and help her move on. Like, you know, she didn't get the help she needed when she was at the last moments of her life. So why can't we help her now? Well, I guess we're going on another trip. We're going to Hong Kong. (laughs) We're going to bring all of our psychic medium friends come with us and we'll do pay homage to her and we'll give her, I don't know, we'll try to help her. I know. I feel so useless in that, in that sort of category because it's like we talk about spirits and we have hauntings that have happened in our own lives. But when it comes to making contact and mediumship. Yeah. What do we know? And knowing how to help a spirit along. Like, what would I do? I'm just going to stand there and yell at someone else saying, help her. (laughs) That's why we bring people who know. And we're just there for energy and help. Yeah. Support. Moral support. We're good at moral support. We are good cheerleaders. We cheerlead each other. We can um, try to help others. It's the least we can do. Yeah. Okay. I have a listener story about a haunted apartment. Woo. It's from Kay. And it's called A Casual Haunting in Rockford. Hey girls, I love your podcast. I just recently became a fan and I've been starting back at episode one. Wow, brave. (sighs) Yeah, very brave. I have quite a few stories, but this story I'm about to tell you is what I believe started it all. Personally, I don't think my experiences are scary, but some people have told me it gives them the creeps. So I hope you enjoy it. From 1992 to 1999, my parents and I lived in a haunted apartment in Rockford, Illinois. As far as I'm aware of, my dad never had anything paranormal happen directly to him, but everything was primarily experienced by my mom and myself, but especially me. Because I was ages two through nine while living at this apartment, the events are listed in no particular order because it just blends together time-wise to me. To set the scene, my parents and I lived in a two-bedroom apartment. You entered the apartment into the living room on the left, and to the right was a dining room that led into a hallway with two doorway entries into the kitchen. Down the hallway were bedrooms on the left and a bathroom on the right. One room my parents and I slept in. One of the rooms my parents and I slept in together, because I never wanted my own room because I was so terrified to sleep by myself. The second room was full of workout equipment, my toys, and and any other random things that was usually just stored away. Growing up, I had this imaginary friend who I never actually got a name from, but being obsessed with the Power Rangers at the time, I named her Kimberly. Being an only child, having Kimberly around was awesome. We played together in the spare room with all of my toys. We chased each other around the apartment. And what I never understood was why Kimberly and I were never allowed to play outside together. My mom would always tell me, no, I was too little to play outside by myself, but I wasn't by myself. I had Kimberly. And only now as an adult 
Do I look back at those memories and realize that there was no other little girl, right? I did have real friends too, though. Don't worry. Directly across our apartment was where my best friend at the time, JP, lived. We always stuck our heads out of the window and yelled across the walkway at each other, asking to play or just to say hi or, you know, just because. As you could imagine, it annoyed the shit out of my mom, not just because of all the high-pitched yelling, but also because our window was loose and it had to be held up by a wooden block. So my mom would be like, get your head out of the window. It could fall and snap your neck. And then the second she was out of my sight, my head was right back in that window. One bright and sunny day, I went to go check if JP was home by sticking my head out of the window. And it wasn't JP's friendly, distant voice that I heard. It was a weird, almost cracking noise that I had never heard before. So I looked around confused, my head still out of the window, and I turned to my right just in time to watch as the wooden block holding the window open suddenly kicked out and flew across the room. The window started to slam, not falling, but slamming down. And I turned my head down and closed my eyes to brace for impact, but it never came. The window just stopped, just above my head. I fell back, scraping the back of my neck and head against the window, and sat on the floor, still dazed from what had just happened, wondering why the window didn't hit me. And then, as I was sitting on the floor, I watched the window slam shut, as if someone had just closed it with rage. To my mom's unknowing delight, I never stuck my head out the window again. Unfortunately, the battle of an unseen force attempting to cause harm versus the one trying to stop it did not end there. Another seemingly gorgeous day, and I had just finished going to the bathroom and was washing my hands in the sink furthest from the door, and our bathroom had double sinks with a giant mirror that spread across both. As I was leaving, wiping my hands on the cloth on the way out, there was a metallic squeak. I looked up towards the noise, and just as both screws holding the mirror up at the top fell out, the mirror came crashing down and shattered all around me. Our apartment was rather small, so my mom was there in an instant, wondering where the noise came, and then soon wondering if I was okay. She searched me up and down for injuries, shocked that I was unscathed, and to this day, I still don't have a real explanation on how I walked away without a single scratch. The worst part about all of these moments is that most of them happened during the day, usually when the sun was out. I had never understood why horror movies were always so dark, because the creepy stuff never stopped when the sun rose. Lessened, maybe, but never stopped. Nighttime was a different kind of terror. Every morning when I woke up, we'd find new red marks all over the clothed parts of my body. Never my arms or my face, but always on my back, front, and my legs. There were what my pediatrician diagnosed as spider bites. The weird part about this is my parents and I were sharing a room, and my bed was right next to theirs, yet the only constantly, the only one who constantly got bit was me. It wasn't just the physical waking world where I was affected either. I constantly suffered the same recurring nightmare that even lasted for a while after we moved. I was always in the same broken down apartment building with an empty rundown pool in the basement. And the goal was always the same. Find the little girl in the toy maze at the top. I'd search through the creepy building, look in room after room, floor after floor, eventually finding my way to the top of the building in a room that was a literal maze of toys. In the center, there was a rocking horse that just slowly rocked by itself. Whenever I'd get to the middle, I'd wake up, sometimes in the real world, sometimes I'd find myself in another dream. The rocking horse also looked almost exactly like the one I had in the spare room, but to my knowledge, it never had a previous owner. My parents also told me about the times where I would be entirely fast asleep, yet my eyes would be wide open, staring into the distance. It only ever happened at this apartment and immediately stopped 
after we moved. My mom was extremely adamant about moving into a brand new house with no previous owners because she was done living in haunted places, this apartment not being her first. As per usual in a lot of stories, whatever entity that doesn't want you there for whatever reason also doesn't want you to leave. This is no different. We moved out very slowly and towards the end on her way to work, my mom would pack some boxes into her car to drop off at the new house before coming back to the apartment. My mom would leave for work around 5 a.m., which means that she would wake up and pack the car around 2 or 3 a.m. She told me that there were a few instances where she'd be buried in a box organizing everything to fit properly when she would feel like she was being watched. She'd look up only to find me standing there in a little white nightgown a few feet away just watching her pack. It's so early, sweetie, and you have to be up for school. What are you doing? She would ask. And instead of answering her question, I'd turn on my heels and run back into the bedroom. Frustrated, she'd get up and walk down the hall and into the bedroom, only to find me completely fast asleep in my bed and not wearing a white nightgown like she had just seen. This happened a handful of times where the little girl in the white nightgown either ran into the bedroom or directly into the kitchen, where she would then vanish as soon as my mom entered through the opposite doorway. When we finally left that apartment, most of the activity stopped. The reoccurring dreams got less and less over the years until they became no more. And the last I heard of Kimberly was within the first week of our move into the new place. My parents were outside working on a patch of dirt they were trying to turn into a beautiful yard. And I myself was in the kitchen eating a bowl of cereal. Then out of thin air, I heard a little sneeze and I looked around obviously to find nothing. And I said, bless you. And that was the end. The new house itself was never haunted like the apartment, but living in that apartment for about seven years definitely had an impact. I had severe paranoia and anxiety growing up. I discovered that I lucid dream, which turned out wasn't something everyone could do like I thought. I still have terrible arachnophobia, and however, I try to capture and release all the spiders now. Except for brown recluses. Fuck those guys. Thanks for taking the time to read, Kay. Okay, possibly unpopular opinion, but... (laughs) What if this little girl that she used to play with, that she eventually sort of outgrew in terms of having this imaginary friend, Mm -hmm. what if that little girl was never really a little girl and was something darker, was this demon? And then as she grew past this little girl and being able to see her presence, this entity got mad. Mm -hmm. And so it started trying to injure her and scratch her and close her in windows. Interesting. And then eventually started posing as her to try to you know, manipulate the parents and gain more energy in different ways. Okay. That's really scary. That is not where my (laughs) mind was going because I, I mean, the way that I was interpreting it was that like all this was happening at once, you know, like the bites Mm. were happening the same time she was playing with Kimberly. So Mm. I don't know. And the way that she described the window falling, it should have crushed her head. Like the way that it falls so quickly and like the way it was held up by the wooden stick. And then It didn't like as if something was holding it up, like as if the good spirit, let's just say Kimberly is a good spirit, was holding it up to protect her. And then the second she was safe and on the ground, the ghost let go of it and it slammed shut the way that it would have had someone not intervened. True, 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 true. And remember, we I feel like maybe in our very first, either our very first encounters or one of our very first episodes about guardian angels where the girl, like a mirror fell on her and like she was not damaged or hurt at all by it oh oh yeah that also sounds it was almost like she had this protective shield yeah or it makes me uh reminded of the story where that like three-year-old child fell out of the window 
and the yeah. lady, the leprechaun, the mysterious lady that didn't exist. Oh, it's okay. The lady catched me. Wow. So many stories like that. I mean, but it, yeah, there's like a warring faction happening. It's like two entities against one another. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Battle of the entities. Mm-hmm. My God. Pretty crazy. It's like to think that there's sort of these other forces that are at war with one another. Mm-hmm. And we're here just like, la la la, what's happening? Who is it? Like what is going about our lives when maybe we're not even seeing the majority of, I mean, I know we're not seeing the majority, but to think that, you know, there are these spirits that are like full on, like I'm picturing them with samurai swords and, you know, nunchucks and everything battling each other on this other plane and occasionally like slipping in yeah, to our site. So wild. I'm glad that they moved out of that apartment because... Oh my gosh. The bites, yeah. the like spider bites under her the clothing. Spider bites are freaky. And it was always under her clothing on her back and legs and Ugh, yeah. creepy. Don't like that. Creepy, creepy, creepy. I hate spiders too, but I do not trap and let them go. Sorry. Can't. I don't know. I'm just thinking about how her mom saw her, but it wasn't actually her. Maybe that's Kimberly. Maybe. Yeah, I guess if you're not expecting to see a, a foreign child in your house just a quick glance you might believe it to be your own child yeah they're approximately same age shape size i wonder if Kay remembers what kimberly looked like at all because Mm. was she her age what did like you know i wonder if it if they will have very similar descriptions her and her mom they should talk about it and let us know i'm sure they have talked about it but (laughs) i I want more details i want to sit and listen to you two talk about it i want Kay to do a hypnosis on on youtube or something and try to remember all the details of this girl and her interactions with this playmate i want her to be brought back to that moment yeah no surprise here that i chose this email because the title is hauntings in burlington vermont oh my gosh it's my home okay this is from aaron Hello, ladies. How are you doing? I genuinely hope you're both staying well. I've been a listener from the beginning. I first found your podcast while living in Burlington, Vermont. Corinne, we actually have a few mutual acquaintances. Whoa. It was very appropriate that I found your podcast while living in Burlington because that's when I experienced the most paranormal activity to date in my life. I lived there before and during college, and for context, all houses that college students live in in Burlington are very, very old. The first house I experienced activity in was built in the 1800s and was a river captain's home. How appropriate now that we're talking about sea shanties and now we have a river captain. I love it. The side we lived on was originally his daughter's room that had been remodeled into apartments. I was obsessed with the idea of of living in a haunted house. The first few months we lived there, I joked all the time about the ghost of a witch who lived there. Very distasteful, but nothing ever happened. My roommates and I never liked sleeping alone and would often all end up in the same room or bed, which may have been an omen, but we chalked it up to just being very loving. (laughs) So one night after months of talking about our ghost, I had just finished showering and was walking into my bedroom. As soon as I stepped through the threshold of my door, all three lights in my room blew out simultaneously. I immediately started sobbing and I called my boyfriend, Billy, to come pick me up and take me to his house. When we got to his apartment, I was telling his best friend and roommate, Corey, about what had happened. And he looked at me and goes, yeah, I don't want to freak you out, but you're fucked. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, saying more nicely. Helpful. Very helpful. Corey and Billy proceeded to tell me the story of their senior year. They and four of their friends, six of them total, lived in a big house built in 1810. They lovingly called it Shit Mansion. (laughs) 
From the day they moved in, they could hear things. Items would move and felt an all-around uneasiness specifically concentrated on the first floor. Billy and Corey lived on the first floor. Their rooms shared a wall. Corey's room had the most activity. His door would open and close, his lights would turn on and off, and so would his van. Multiple times, Corey would go to open his door only to have it swing open with so much force that it would hit the wall, bounce back, and the lights would not turn on. One day, my boyfriend Billy was home alone in between classes sitting on the couch with his house cat and dog. The hallway on the first floor was very long, running from one end of the house to the other. And it was so long that they had a skateboard that they would ride from end to end. While watching TV, Billy heard the skateboard begin to roll down the hallway. And he watched it as it slowly rolled all the way to the other end. Billy, the dog, and the cat all looked at each other, but they wrote it off. (laughs) (laughs) As things continued, they tried to cleanse Corey's room, which made things worse. One night, while Corey was home, his door slammed shut. And when Corey tried to open the door, it wouldn't move. He was locked inside of his room, trying to open the door for a minute or more before it finally opened. And this was the last major occurrence before they moved out soon after. They told me this whole story and I agreed. I thought I was fucked. Things in my house seemed to have quieted down until one February night. My roommates and I decided to hit the town and went down to the bars. We had a pretty big night out. My roommates went home before me because one of them wasn't feeling well. They later called me saying that she was pretty sick and she was going to go to the hospital. I left the bars and I went home. By this point, I was pretty drunk. So I did my classic drunk move and I made shrimp scampi. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds amazing. Sounds so great. (laughs) While in the kitchen making the scampi, I was talking to my roommate about our other roommate who had been sick. Our conversation went like this. Me. Where is she? Is she okay? My roommate. She's in the hospital, but she's okay. She'll be back tomorrow. A sense of calm came over me and I ate my pasta and I went to bed. The next morning, I heard the doorbell ring. I went downstairs and it was my roommate who had been taken into the hospital. She was safe, but she was a little shaken up. We hugged and we went upstairs. We walked into the apartment and I said, wait, where's our other roommate? Did she pick you up? No, she stayed at her boyfriend's last night. My heart dropped. Who had I talked to? Oh my God. Who told me that my roommate was okay? It makes me tear up just thinking about it. We moved out of that house a few months later into this big three-story house and gained two more roommates. We were the first tenants in the house since our landlord had bought it and remodeled it. We had two staircases, one in the front that went all the way back up to the remodeled attic where our only male roommate lived, and one in the back that was very steep and skinny. My room and my roommate Lucy's room were on either side of the top of those stairs. The first few weeks we lived there, the fire alarms went off every night for 20 minutes, or sometimes up to an hour. They would go off in intervals, pausing just long enough for you to begin to fall back asleep and then start again. We told our landlord, who was confused because he had just replaced everything, but he came to change out the batteries anyway. But it continued. Every night, between 2 and 3 a.m., they would go off. Our landlord would come and change the batteries, and it was a cycle. Finally, our landlord completely rewired the alarms, and that night, they went off at 2.30 then 2.40, then 2.50, then 3 a.m. And finally, they stopped. And I heard heavy footsteps walking up the back stairs. Thank God, I thought. Someone turned them off. Oh my gosh. The next morning, I asked Lucy, did you turn off the alarm last night? Because we were the only ones staying on the second floor that night. No, I thought you did, she said. We concluded that our male roommate had obviously turned it off and used our stairs to go to the attic, which was unusual, but obviously not impossible. We asked him as soon as he woke up and he said he hadn't gone downstairs. He hadn't turned off the alarms. He hadn't walked up our staircase, but nothing happened after that. 
but it was a spooky as fuck year. <laughs> love the podcast and have deeply enjoyed watching you grow since 2017. Oh. With love and see you on the other side, Aaron. P.S. My best friend, class of 17, and her husband, class of 15, met at LMU <gasps> while he was playing lacrosse, and she was the team manager. Another reason I feel connected but, to you both. Wait, which we are class of 15. We're class of 15, and we also knew half of the people on... The men's lacrosse team. Yeah. So. Because uh, if you didn't know, Corinne and I were laxers. We were on the women's lacrosse We were lady team, laxers. So. <laughs> we were chilling out, maxing, relaxing all cool. Wait, need to know who they are. Yeah. I don't know. I'm trying to think. None of the people that we know, class of 15, I think, are, are married. So it must have. Yeah. I don't know. Aaron, can you let us know? Yeah. Tell us. Because we might have like this really big mutual friend that we're, we're trying to figure out. We could all be besties. We don't know. Also, Aaron. I want to know what the heck is happening at this place. There's no answers. Mm -hmm. It's just, it just stopped and there's no answers. And the thing is like, Aaron's right. And honestly, I feel like Boston's sort of the same way in a lot of cities are where when you think about apartment complexes, I often think of like, oh, like a big brand new structure that was built. But the majority of apartments out there are these family homes or these like multi-story buildings that were transitioned into multi-family homes and apartments. And so they are really freaking old. And there's yeah. so many people that have lived there before. And the way that Aaron was like super stoked to live in a haunted place and was like, yeah, this is going to be fun. I'm excited to talk about my ghost that haunts this place. And then it was just like, oh, wait, this is not what I wanted. This is a lot just scarier kidding. than I anticipated. <laughs> and this is not easy to do. I like to think that there is the spirit of this, you know, old man that used to live in that building. And that was his home. The entire the entire house was his home. And now that the alarms just keep going off, he's just like, oh my God, these girls, I need to help them or this group because they had male roommates too. But doesn't it feel like the there's something scary setting off the alarms? Like yeah, you're right. it goes off every night from 2 to 3 a.m. Like that just in the middle of the night. I mean, it's hard enough to you're sleep, right. let alone get restful yeah. sleep. And now this thing keeps going off in the middle of the night and kind of like it feels it feels like something's messing with them purposefully like it's one thing for it to go off at like 2 p.m mm-hmm. but for it to go right. off in the middle of the night i know because i was thinking more of like oh the whoever with the boots that walked up the stairs and turned off the alarm mm. they were being helpful but now you're making me think that maybe they were the perpetrator and they were just turning it off because they had already completed their cycle of 2 to 3 a.m torment yeah or it also reminds me okay so now i'm thinking of our friend Marissa, who has talked on the podcast before and was on the the Nashville, mm-hmm. chatted with us on stage in Nashville, she her family has this clock that goes backwards every single October, and this grandfather right. clock was or the house was owned by this pilot who died in the month of October, mm-hmm. and they've brought the clock to specialists and grandfather clocks, and there's absolutely nothing wrong and no reason that this clock should suddenly start moving backwards just in the month of October. So this makes me wonder if they looked into the history of this home, you know, perhaps we're thinking, oh, 2 to 3 a.m., creepy, witching hour, demons, devils, <laughs> bad energy, because that's what we attribute with the time. But what if there was actually something? What if what if there was like a fire previously that had had mm. killed people in this home and it happened in that time? And so mm. it's kind of like trying to warn people to like what the what the spirits had wish had happened was the alarm went off that they had some sense of warning to get out and to survive. Interesting. I mean, speculation. We don't know the actual history. You keep putting nice twists on these things. Actually, no. Because <laughs> I'm scared. You, you did put a negative twist on Kimberly. So I don't know. 
Sorry, Kimberly. I mean, no, K. K and Kimberly. Yeah, yeah. I turned Kimberly. I turned K's Kimberly into something evil. Into something but. evil. And now you're turning this into something nice. And you're, dr- I just can't, I don't know where to be. But honestly, it is partially nice because whatever that first apartment complex, that first house remodeled into apartments that they lived in where her roommate got really sick that one night, whatever spirit was imitating her roommate came to make her less worried and less concerned and to right. ease her her nervous brain. Yeah. Wow. So parts of it are good, but... It's just uh, the no answers. That's hard. I want to learn more about this house. I know. Yeah. I know. Aaron, tell your friend Corey to not tell you that you're fucked when something <laughs> bad happens. That's not helpful. No, not at all. No. <laughs> but wow. Billy and Corey clearly had plenty of yeah. paranormal activity in their place, too. Wow. Good old Vermont. Good old Vermont. Good old haunted apartments. Good old haunted abodes. Please send us your stories if you live in a haunted house or a haunted apartment or... um. Just any ghost story, really, or aliens, or Bigfoot, or cryptids, whatever, to um, two girls, one ghost podcast at gmail.com. And please rate and review on iTunes. Please uh, tell everybody, join the pyramid scheme. We say it all the time, but it's super, super helpful. So if you could do that, we'd greatly appreciate it. Yes. And uh, follow us on social media. We have Facebook. We have a Facebook group, which is amazing. And we have Instagram and Twitter. So follow along on our journey. Join us on the journey. Let's talk ghosts and be weird, creepy ghouls. We love it. And real quick, thank you to Brooke and Eric Foster at Upfire Digital and your whole team. We appreciate you for editing our podcast. You are fab. And we will... See you on the other side. Very spooky.